Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi again, everybody. You are about to listen to a great show of Inside Curling, and we got a lot of meat on the bone, lots of meat on the bone. Uh, and of course, joining us as always are two World Curling Hall of Famers. When do we drop that title? Okay, can we get rid of that? Okay, I'm sick of hearing you guys are in the wall in the Hall of Fame. Okay. <laughs> well, are you? Aren't you in the Broadcast Hall of Fame? Uh, I really am. Yeah. I've, I've, I, <laughs> you know what? I'm. <laughs> I'm like. I'm like Carter, the guy who tried to get into the. Uh, remember the. The Montreal Expos and Mets uh, catcher got passed over about 52 years in a row to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm there, Warren. I'm there. But I I don't run to the phone if it rings around induction time. Uh, We couldn't couldn't do it without all our sponsors. Jackpot City brings you what is happening around the curling world. County Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics and Goldline. Uh, brings you our guest spot called In the House. Here's what's on the show today. We do have In the House. Yes, John Schuster, who just won the U.S. National Championships for the 10th time, who's on his way to the Worlds. Uh, in our What's Happening Around the Curling World segment, as mentioned, the U.S. Uh, Nationals concluded. We can take a look at that. Uh, we'll get Kevin and Warren to break that down. The National Championships were concluded in Japan and Sweden last weekend. Uh, they're starting to tick them off. Briar playdowns held in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. Got to check in on that. Who won? Hot Rock Topics. Uh, we're going to look at a number of emails. Uh, and what are we hearing? Uh, we're hearing the uh, Scotty starts uh, next week, and many fans want to know our thoughts on the two pools that the players will play from and who we think will be the final eight. Okay. Is it a pick day, Warren? Is this a pick day for us? It's a pick day, Jim. Uh, okay, good. We had a huge technical problem. And I've only been doing podcasts and radio for, I don't know, 35 years now. Yeah. And uh, the producer came on and said, Jim, you're, you're talking into the back of your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got her all straightened out, the big technical move of twist your microphone. <laughs> anyway, we got a great guest. Uh, you know, we come when we do these, we come from all parts of the world. And coming from his car... Uh, this morning, the recent winner of the U.S. championship uh, this past weekend and the 2018 Olympic champion, you know who it is, Johnny, my boy, Schuster. How are you, John? Doing well. Good man. You know, as we as we came on air, Warren and I were listening to you and Kevin Kibitz. Does every curler know every single shot that they threw in every single game? It's like <laughs> Kevin's like, remember when you did this in the fifth end of that that event and that spiel? And uh, uh, Kevin said you you got a five ender in uh, at the Olympics. Fives fives have kind of been a thing apparently in my career. So <laughs> the first one actually came in 2014. The one everybody kind of knows about is the one from 2018. But then another one snuck up here on Sunday. So kind of crazy. 
Good for you. Uh, congratulations on winning it. Uh, talk about the whole week and uh, how to go for you. Was it ever? I, I read a little bit online there about it. It wasn't. Uh, you didn't whip everyone. Uh, it was. It was some some close calls. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, we only played ten ends once all week, other than our loss. So <laughs> we actually had a had one of the best weeks I've ever had with a curling team um, at a national championships. We lost the one game, the one two game. Um, you know, and that was. That was one of those games we were playing in a mall in New Jersey, the American Dream Mall, which was definitely different. Um, I'm sure I'm sure Kevin's played in the Edmonton Mall once or twice if they tried to put curling in there, but <laughs> uh, but they really did have a great surface most of the week. We only had one night game and then the one two game where it was got really warm in there and the and the surface was tough. But uh, but yeah, we we put together a fantastic week and I think it was actually one of the more the best shooting weeks I've I've ever been part of with a team for a week long. So, John, I was completely wrong in my assessment of how <laughs> your week went. <laughs> I must have read one thing where you had one tough end or something. Uh, it's it's your tenth time, John. Uh, is anything going to slow you down? Well, you know, it's the body is going to start giving out at some point, but uh, but no, it's competing at the highest level is something I've always loved doing, and and I have you know we have a team of five guys who you know, all enjoy like putting the work in and, and, you know, trying to get ready for championship season. You know, we go out and play the tour season and, you know, sometimes it goes fine, sometimes it whatever, but, you know, we really try to prep ourselves to be ready for our national championships and then for the world championships or in an Olympic year for the Olympic trials and then for the Olympics. And, right. um, and I think, you know, it was just proof this week that, you know, we planned it out right this year to, to really start playing our best curling when it mattered. Right. The show's called Inside Curling. Uh, can you take us inside your personal life a little bit? What What do you do when you're not curling? Uh, you know, family, kids, friends, what's, uh, what's happening there? I, uh, I am a very much a stay-at-home dad when I'm not on the ice. Two kids who are 8 and 10 years old, and the sports that they're currently competing in this, this time of year are uh, swimming yep. and curling and basketball. And then in the other season, they play baseball and soccer in the summer and spring. And also throw flag football in there in the fall. So I am driving kids eternally to sports. <laughs> I, I've been a sports junkie since I was a kid. And to do that is one of the, you know, is my biggest prides I have. And I've, I've loved watching them. My, my 10-year-old won his first competitive, or I mean, developing division at a bond spiel just last month. And, uh, and he beat my 8-year-old's team in the finals. So <laughs> um, it's been, that's, that's what I do. And, and the other thing I do to kind of get myself, and I'm going to, here I'm going into the Chisholm Curling Club where my dad is to get the key for his house to go pick my dogs up from last week, and uh, and I'm going to go <laughs> drill a hole in his lake and and fish for probably a half hour in there too. So fishing is kind of my escape. Nice. We can see in the background uh, through the windshield of your car. Is this the club you you grew up in where you did a lot of your curling? A little four sheeter in Chisholm. Is that what it is the Chisholm Curling Club? Chisholm, Minnesota. Yep, that's where I was born and raised, and this was the curling club I used to come and eat popcorn and drink Dr. Pepper and watch my dad curl in league. He's not a competitive curler at all. And, uh, and threw my first stone in that curling club when I was in sixth grade. So cool. Uh, from one multiple time national champion and Olympic champion to another multiple time national champion and Olympic champion over to you, Kev. Wasn't that nice? Nice of me, Kev, to give you a little something there. Hey, that was nice, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, and congratulations again on number 10. Uh, amazing. The five enders are so big in your in your world. If you go back, uh, I don't know, quite a few years, um, usually, though, it's five enders in the eighth end. 
Yeah, this this one we were uh, we were down to, and we had to you know any any opportunity. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, but you know, when you're behind in those games, we were just trying to look for look for deuces. And when we gave up that three in the second end, um, you know, and it was on two zeros for me. So it was that was one of those things that I kind of took personally with my teammates, as my teammates had played two really good ends, and I threw two meatballs in the second end, and I <laughs> that I needed to for my own for my own sane sanity uh, to make sure that I. I really focused and, and dialed it in and also gave us some opportunities. And we came back and scored a two right away, which makes it, you know, a little less stressful. But we were down two with three ends to play or four ends to play at the national championship. And, you know, they ended up just barely missing a couple runbacks. And that's how those big ones happen, as you know. Hey, uh, the reason I bring up the big five, of course, is from the Olympics in the in the eighth end, of course, grabbing a big five against Nicholas Sedin to win the gold medal that time. I'm from a small town, too, a uh, small town curling club, Lougheed Curling Club. And there's some some memories that I get when I think about my home club that I grew up in. I'm not sure if it's the same for you. You're talking about Dr. Pepper. Um, I don't remember that part, <laughs> but I do remember the mums or grandmas would always make homemade hamburgers in the club. And I always remember the smell when walking the Lougheed Curling Club. I always remember the smell of the burgers and the smell of the homemade pies. Yeah, Chisholm's very similar. We had uh, actually Jason Smith, who played with me when we played you in the 2010 Olympics. His grandpa actually ran the kitchen here when we were in high school and like <laughs> through uh, my two years of college. And we prior to that, we didn't actually have food in the curling club. It was popcorn and, and pop and beer. When Buzz came in here, he started making burgers and called them Buzz Burgers, and they still <laughs> continued using the kitchen making burgers. So, yeah, it's the same, you know, that flat top fried burger <laughs> yeah, that yeah. leave as it should probably. And, yeah, um, that's it. And, and then for me is also, you know, this place is is just the number of practice rocks that I shoot through on sheet three. And I remember being very, very cold because our club is so small. We only had leagues, senior league on Tuesday and men's on Thursdays. So Mondays and Wednesdays, they turned the heat way down, and it was ice cold out there because don't practice rocks, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, let's get into uh, U.S. curling a little bit before I let Warren in here. The average age of the of the top teams, uh, your team, of course, um, more experienced, but it's really quite is really getting down there. Like the U.S. has done a terrific job, I think. I'd love to hear your opinion on bringing young athletes to the upper level quite quickly now maybe go through your system if you agree with me at all that you have young players but also how, how are you developing them so quickly well i think what's happened is we used to have junior nationals used to be you know state by state where i played with you know three guys from my state and that was kind of how it was but um as we've found and and you see it with you know with the scotlands and the swedens of the world that have kind of have their best athletes playing together and and as a national you know, at our, we now have a junior national development program that kind of gets those athletes who are all the top athletes in our country kind of playing together and they get to go, you know, and they play maybe a few more events and they go up to Winnipeg where they can drive to where it's not crazy expensive and play some Canadian junior teams and Canadian events. And, um, and actually in making sure that those people are supported and can transition into being curlers when they're in their college years, their university years. So, you know, right now, like Team Sampson, Team Casper, these are all guys who are either in college or recently graduated from college and they're still getting that support of, you know, of our national, you know, coaching staff and our national team resources so we can keep them. Cause it's, as you know, Kev, like there's a lot of really good players that you probably played with and against in juniors that moved on and did other things in their life, even if they maybe loved curling, but they didn't see a, a road into it. And I think, you know, making sure that young athletes in our country 
can see that next step in staying and keeping curling being one of the parts of their lives. And I think that's been something that's been vitally important along with obviously getting to some of that top competition at younger ages. Yeah. So there's more events, Hey, in the States now than there used to be. (laughs) No, there's actually less, believe it or not. (laughs) You see a flood of our younger teams playing in Winnipeg because you know, the Manitoba curling tour events usually have a little bit lower entries and you know, the barrier to get there is less because you can hop in one car and drive up together. And it's not this huge expense like it is for, you know, guys like us flying out to Ontario and Alberta and Saskatchewan, that kind of thing. Yeah, it is a big expense. Hey, Warren, go ahead. Great. Well, congratulations, John. Uh, Ten national championships. That's a huge accomplishment. Who would be number two in the United States? Bud Somerville? Well, Joe Polo has eight and Pete Fenson, I think, has seven. I'm not sure how many. I don't think Bud had that many because I think every time he won one, he medaled at Worlds. I think he might have had like five or four or five or six. Yeah. How many other skips have won multiple? I think Pete Fenson had five or six as a skip. That was only my seventh as a skip because I won three as a lead as well. So, Well, whatever. Huge accomplishment. Let's talk (laughs) about your team for a second. So you're one of the few teams out there that has actually a five-person team. And I guess in the championship in New Jersey, this came in pretty timely because I think John Landsteiner had some medical issues, right? And Colin Hoffman stepped in. He played pretty much the entire event, did he not? Yeah, Colin played every game of the event, yep. What happened to John? To be honest, I think this day and age, post-COVID, you know, woke up one, he was kind of coughing a little bit at the beginning and, you know, thought he woke up and maybe thought he maybe had some sort of a fever kind of thing and was coughing. And so, you know, he quarantined into his room because that's also where the world we live in. I think, you know, five, six years ago, probably would have, you know, gutted it out and been fine to come curl. But the fact that we had five, or maybe even if we have four guys, he probably would have curled. But he was like, I'm just going to stay here and you guys keep running. And we had a plan of what we were doing with our five guys because we truly only traveled four players to all but one tournament all season. And, you know, we had a plan going in and that plan had to be adjusted, but that's what happens when you have, you know, five guys committed to each other as a team. And, um, and yeah, and, and it ended up, you know, my heart was out for John cause he only got to play two games at this national championship, which is very new. Cause I think he's rarely sat a game. So. In this day and age where teams are winning all kinds of events with three players, what made you decide to have a five-person team? Uh, well, what it actually did was we we figured it would probably add us an ability to play two or three more events without putting that travel stress on everybody. So, I mean, I took Penticton off this year, and Chris took the Niagara Slam off this year, and, you know, Matt took three events off, Landsteiner took three events off, and Colin took two events off. So it actually allowed us to play more events as a team and to really – you know, make sure we're kind of ready because the same thing with the Worlds being a 12 game round robin and potentially three playoff games is 15 games in a eight game span. Like we are we have the ability to, you know, rest guys if we deem that it's needed. So it's uh, it, it works out very well for us. So did I not see that with Colin coming in, you also had a slight change in the lineup that he played second and, and Matt played lead. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Colin, uh, you know, the plan was to have Colin actually come in and play every game of our nationals this year. Cause um, you know, last year at the worlds was the lowest finish I've ever had at a world since my first one in 2003. And, uh, and you really see, and, and I know Kevin can attest right now what those guys are doing from Italy and Pablo from Switzerland. Um, you know, the, the absolute power sweeping is something that is bringing people to the top. And, and Colin Huffman is the most powerful sweeper in our country. And, and we really thought that that was something that was going to be important to having success at the top level. Matt Hamilton's conceding to Colin being the most powerful sweeper? <laughs> I don't believe it. 
<laughs> well, I mean, if he was on the show, would he be conceding, uh, John? What do you think? Well, that, that's the thing. That's the thing, though, Kev, with with successful teams, he probably wouldn't to save face. But no, it's. I mean, he when he actually played third in Penticton uh, when I was gone, and Chris skipped. Matt stepped in and played third because that's what he does when I'm out of the lineup. And uh, you know, he saw what Colin can do to rocks on the way down the sheet. And I think, um, I think he understood very much, you know, what that was. So. Um, obviously Matt being the competitor he is, and he's a big game player, as you know, like at the biggest events, that's where Matt shows up the biggest. And I know, you know, he absolutely wanted to be in there and probably playing second and playing all the games, but that was, you know, kind of where we got to this year. I want to talk to you about the location. So you're in New Jersey in a shopping mall and New Jersey isn't exactly a hotspot for curling in the USA. So how did that all go? Did you get some people to come out to watch? Were people curious? How did it all work out? You know, it's it's kind of wild that you say it's not a hotspot, but like, um, and it technically Newark, not necessarily, but the American Dream Mall, you know, had three levels and there weren't natural bleachers, but the number of people that were there watching and, you know, it's pretty easy to get to New York City from anywhere on the East Coast and the, and the Grand National Curling Club, which is all the clubs along the East Coast, like nothing's further than three, four hours away. Um, we, we, had a, we had a great fan base in there and it was awesome viewing. They were right on top of all the sheets. So it was, you know, and, and above where curling is the best viewed from, as we all know. So it was, there were great crowds in there. And the sun came out, unfortunately, on Saturday. And Saturday and Sunday were the only two days where there was sun in that. Because the overhead roof was glass. Um, but that's why we played our nationals so early is because uh, a week later, sunlight would have been hitting the ice if the sun was out during the day. And we had to get our nationals done before that solar load happened. So um, it was planned out as best as it could be. And Sean Olison, our national head ice maker, along with his crew, uh, put out fantastic ice, I would say, for of the draws we played. And we played 10 games of eight of the 10 draws. It was every bit as good as every nationals ice we played on, which is usually elite. I'm curious of, in the United States, how people end up getting to the nationals. Uh, if you did it like Canada, there'd be, there'd be 50 playdowns and 50 teams because every province gets here. However, over the last several years, um, the format of the national championships has has changed. It used to be, you know, a dozen or so teams from each province and territory. Now it's, you know, it's two pools. And sometimes there's a crossover. You don't play people in the same four team. There's wild cards. There's residency rules here with teams. Tell me how it all works there and how do you guys suss it out to get the, the teams who do end up at the nationals? It's actually pretty interesting because the way that Canada does it now with the crossover is the way that we did it in the 90s in through when I started playing in my first nationals in 2003. There were 16 teams, two pools of eight, and then the crossover, the top four, and then got a page playoff from there, a semi and a final. Um, but we narrowed that down to 10 teams when we went away from regionality, which happened uh, in the mid 2000s for us. And the cost of running these events and like we don't get the crowds like the Briar and I think you know, the depth of our teams that are playing there, we've actually now taken that down to eight teams. And to qualify, like, the top two finishers from Nationals last year get spots. And then we have a couple qualifying events. I think this year we had Eveleth, one in Blaine. And I think I think we had three qualifying events this year. And then the top three points teams um, on tour get those last three spots. So that's how we qualify our eight teams now. Yeah, it's, it may be stupid to ask a guy, what do you think of the format? at your national champions when you're talking to a guy who's won it 10 times, I'm thinking <laughs> he must be okay with it. Um, but, but, but are, are you, John, what do you, do you like it or are there things you want to work on or 
that you might change or, or going forward, you're good with everything? You know, I think the, the way we've gotten to this format work has worked out. And I think um, the best eight teams we had in our country are playing. And I think, you know, going and adding two more teams to 10 where we used to be would probably be okay. Um, but you're adding teams that might be there to try to get experience and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of like our format the way it is right now. And, and yeah, you play a good round robin and the top four teams get into the playoffs and play a page. And, you know, you get that benefit, like of us going undefeated in the round robin and we drop the one-two game. That's exactly why you have it. Because, you know, our nationals is yes to get on a trophy is like the pinnacle, but it really is just a step to send our team, our best team to Worlds. And, and I think that the way we have it set up right now is probably the best way we can do that right now. There's no such thing as a residency rule there then. <laughs> residency is out the window and has been probably since like 2005, I believe. Oh, if you can see the video right now, Warren is doing star jumps. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, you can't live in Canada. Like, don't me, actually, you can live in Canada, actually, because we, you know, have had Canadians who are also American citizens that have played in our in our championships in the past as well. So, oh, cool, cool, cool. Kevin Warren, anything else? I just wanted to touch on the uh, on curling in the mall again <laughs> because it, it gives such a visual. Like you, you did a great job of mentioning uh, three levels. So. I guess at West Edmonton Mall. Have you been in West Edmonton Mall, John, at all? I absolutely have. When we were there for the Worlds in 2017, we definitely went there to the water oh, parks. So. <laughs> so they've got the two floors there. And we've had curling events there. We had a, a big tour event there in the 90s. But even since, we've had curling there. And it does draw a ton of people to the rail. Like, it's just incredible how many people just haven't seen curling, don't really know about it, so they want to figure it out. And it gives such a great um, a visual when you're talking about three layers. So the third layer is way the heck up there. It's got right. It's up in the sky. It's it's up there. Initially, I was going to have my mom and my kids watch from the third level. I thought it'd be the best viewing, and then I was like, you know what? My one of my kids and my mom don't like heights. That wasn't the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so in November, we ran our first event at West Ed in November. So I sat and had a coffee at the mall uh, one year prior to when we ran it. My calculations weren't very smart, apparently, but I calculated that the sun would not be a problem in November, but. I forgot about these things called mirrors. And so the, the, the <laughs> sun would shine off the mirrors and then down on the ice and made, it ended up making hot spots during the middle of the day. I've never been to the mall you played in. Are there mirrors and things like so that the sun bounces? How, how did it work? You know, I think we saw one tiny reflection when the sun was out uh, during that uh, one-two game, the page games, um, that was coming off of like the glass that was up against because it was glass you know, at every level, like stopping yeah. people from falling, obviously. Um, but that was really it for reflection. And they had one thing that they had to do at the mall was they put up um, basically barriers also to try to keep the cool in and the heat from the mall pedestrians kind of out. So it wasn't, the mall wasn't completely wide open like it usually is, but it pretty much, I mean, still was people being able to walk by and such. But then there was one hot band on the ice and it wasn't from sun reflection for whatever airflow reason right in front of the hack on the home end there was one spot that was like 60 or 70 degrees and i know the ice guy said when they were flooding that that was always the last place to freeze but it didn't seem to really affect anything other than you know the flatness in the hack and it didn't really get out to the ice it was kind of like right in that area between the hack and the back line and i think that was probably very fortunate because if that was in the middle of the ice it might have been different story well, I think that's awesome. I think I, I think it's a wonderful thing to play a championship in a mall. I, we, we did it in Edmonton, and I, I, I've got to get to that mall myself and see it from my own eyes. 
He is uh, on his way to the Worlds. He is the reigning U.S. national champion, obviously. He has done it nine times before. He's won the Olympics. He's John Schuster. And he's coming for you, baby. Okay, he's coming for you at the Worlds. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Congratulations again. What a, what a, what a record. Ten times to do this. And good luck at the Worlds coming up and, uh, and for the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, See thanks, you, John. John. Get your defog on, John. The windows are fogging up, okay? Turn your defrost on. (laughs) So there he goes, uh, John Schuster. Uh, You know... When I looked at it, I didn't see a minute. I didn't do an update. I didn't look about how the how he won. And I thought, oh, that doesn't matter. I'll just BS my way through this and it'll be fine. No one will know the difference. Well, except John Schuster, who told me, Jim, you couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> uh, when in doubt, Kev, leave it out. And I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I didn't get away with every anything. Uh, what'd you think, Kev? You go first. Uh, I, I love this guy. Full of life. Wow, John's had well. He's he's a he's a true pro when it comes to curling. But you know, I I really enjoyed hearing about you know his dad still curling at the home club in Chisholm and and, and himself and his, his the kids are curling and they're doing well. So you know, I guess like curling is in all over the world. Um, it's kind of a family oriented game, very friendly game, and and John certainly proves that, no question. And it was great to hear about his, you know, the personal side of somebody like John, who's won so much in his life. Right, Warren. Where do you slate him in? Where do you where do you put him in in terms of his shot to win the worlds? Is um, is he an underdog with the sort of four or five names that we always see, or or is he someone you better watch out for? Well, John's been at the game for a long time. He's he's always been an interesting player. He's always had the ability to really rise to the occasion and, and play really well. But then he's also had down periods where things haven't gone that well for him. But he's he's one of the best in the world, without question. He's won an Olympic gold medal. He's a character. Uh, everybody calls him Shusty, and that's who he is. He's Shusty, and uh, he's he's got a great uh, ability to express what's on his mind and. Uh, he doesn't hold back, so he's uh, he's a great guy for the media and uh, one of the best players in the U.S. Uh, uh, history. Good stuff, and good luck to John. Okay, here we go. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Jackpot City. Jackpot City casino games perfectly made for you. As mentioned, John Schuster won the U.S. Nationals this past week, and the women's was on as well. Warren, winners, what do you, what do you got for us? Give us an update. Well, on the women's side, Probably no surprise, Tabitha Peterson won her seventh U.S. national and the second one in a row for her over Sarah Anderson. Score was 10 to 5. Peterson scored a four in the fifth end to take a 7 to 2 lead, and that was pretty much the whole story. Finishing third was another very young team that's coming down the track really quickly. Delaney Strauss took the bronze medal. And I think when we talked last week, we thought the three teams that were going to be right in it were Peterson, Anderson, and Strauss. And that did come true. They were the three medal winners. So congratulations to Tabitha and her team. Third, Corey Tisi. Second, Tara Peterson. Lead, Becca Hamilton. And alternate, Vicki Persinger. That was on the women's side. We will, of course, uh, have a, we've had a chat with John Schuster, and uh, he was very successful on the men's side. Only losing one game in the one versus two game to Corey Dropkin, who was certainly his nemesis in the U.S. set of things. But in the end, 
Schuster did win the game 11-9, to but he was down 4-1 to after four ends. But he scored a big five in the seventh end. Five seems to be coming uh, Schuster's kind of trademark because he did the same thing in the Olympics in 2018. That gave him an 8-5 to lead, and he uh, cruised home from there. It is the 10th time that the 2018 Olympic gold medalist will represent USA at the Worlds. With his team is third, Chris Plies. Second, Colin Hoffman. Lead, Matt Hamilton. And in this case, alternate John Landsteiner. So that's an interesting. It's a five-person team. And as in our interview with John, we talked about Landsteiner not being able to play because of illness because he would have been the regular player at lead. But with the change, uh, Hoffman moved up to second, Matt Hamilton moved down to lead, and uh, they managed to pull the whole thing off, and John win his 10th U.S. championship. Yeah, cool. Uh, Kevin, when like you, the U.S. wasn't always a force, of course. Uh, they weren't someone to worry about, probably back in the day when you were curling. When, when did it turn around for the U.S., Kev, that they, they started to make their way into high-performance curling? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Bud Somerville, of course, back in the day was very, very good. Um, so they've, they've had some great players over the years. But I think you're, to your point, uh, Pete Fenson, Pistol Pete, that's what I always called Pete, and him and I are really good friends. Um, I think that around that time when, when Pete got going, that it really kind of went, hmm, these guys are really good. And then he had John Schuster throw lead for him, actually, in 06. And, and that's where kind of Schuster got, where he got a taste of the high performance or the top-level curling. And since then, it's, it's really improved. I think Matt Hamilton helped a lot with uh, his personality um, because, he, you know, he's a, he's a crazy guy and, and really entertaining. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, that, that, and then Tyler George, his uh, soft touch. So, and then, then winning the, the Olympic Games in 2018, um, obviously, was, was massive for, uh, for the country. But it started back, I think, with, uh, and Warren might uh, want to comment on this too, but with, uh, with Fenson and, and she was just throwing lead, that was, that was a really good team. And, and since then, um, I, I think the big thing is, uh, is the age of the athlete in the U.S. is really coming down. And they've got some very skilled young curlers coming up that are, that are looking really good for the future. Well, I think it's interesting to note a couple of things. The uh, U.S. had a lot of success in the men's set of thing way back in the 70s. They won three world championships in the 70s. Somerville in 74, Bruce Roberts in 76, and Bobby Nichols in 78, which the Bobby Nichols team was pretty much Bud Somerville's team of 74 without Bud. But they had a lot of success back at that period in time. Then things went kind of dry for them. And you know, the U.S. looked at kind of the same struggles Canada has to some degree because they had state representatives and residency rules the same as we did. And after the 2014 Olympics, I think was when big pressure came from the U.S. Olympic Committee that they had to change a bunch of things. So that was when they really changed how they were picking teams, putting teams together. They got away with all the residency or any regional representation. And that's when they started to form, I think, again, some some pretty good teams, some pretty good players. So it probably goes back to the big change was in 2014. Uh, good stuff. Kev, you popped your nose into the Japan and Sweden nationals. Who won, Kev? Who won? Okay, let's start with the uh, Japanese women, actually, Jimmy. Um, so we've got uh, Kitazawa against uh, uh, Uno, and uh, Uno won in the semi 6-5. to five. So that brings Uno into the Mayu Uno into the final against Tabata. And actually, uh, Uno was down one going home and grabbed a deuce in the last end to win 5-4. <clears throat> so a big win there. And then on the men's side, 
couple of names that most uh, big curling fans are going to know, and that's uh, Shinya Abe and Rico Yanagasawa. And uh, actually, Abe ended up winning 6-3, uh, got three in the fourth end to carry that going forward. So congratulations. That was, to me, a, a, maybe a slight upset. I would have thought that Yanagasawa would have been the favorite in that game, but hey, that's the way it goes in curling. Uh, Sweden. Let's talk about Sweden uh, a little bit here. No big shocker as to the two teams in the final. Jimmy, who do you think? Let, let's use your curling knowledge here. Who do you think from Sweden would be in the women's final? Hasselborg. Guy, you got it. Way to go. I'm making up for all my mistakes this morning. <laughs> so Team Hasselborg in the final against Team Verano, and uh, Hasselborg gets three in the third end to win 6-3. to three. On the men's side, uh, you actually have Nyman playing uh, Grambun, but, uh, and uh, Nyman won 5-3, to three, but the big story isn't that. It's Nick and Dean not playing in the Nationals. Um, so I reached out to Nick this morning and just, hey, you know, what's going on? But they have to play for their sponsor, and they played in Kitazawa, actually. And then none of the other teams are near the top 30. So the qualifier in this event didn't really matter who won. That's why you didn't see Team Adin, uh in this in this national. They actually did their under contract to support their sponsors in Sweden, but they did that in, in, uh, in Japan. So that, that's why uh, Team Adin, you know, I, was, I uh, but he's going to the world. Yeah, I just heard from from Nick this morning. Actually, it was great to have a talk with him. He played in the Karazawa event for our association sponsor instead, because the second team in Sweden um, aren't close to the top thirty, so it didn't really matter as far as who won. Normally, they play in in the nationals, but as per their contract. Uh, the Karazawa event kind of messed that up the, in their schedule. That's why they weren't there. So it's all good for everybody that's written us emails wondering about Team Adin and why they're not in Swedish Nationals. It's because of uh, the Karazawa event where they supported their sponsors, which is very important, obviously, to uh, to sports teams. But like I said, he will be at the Worlds. Yeah, and 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 that can everybody can relax right. um, in the curling world <laughs> because we got so we've had so many people wondering why Team Dean hasn't been in the nationals. So, but thank you for everybody who sent their the emails, and I did reach out to Nick, and I heard back from him this morning before we taped the show. So I, I read uh, that was straight from from Nicodine. Okay, Warren, uh, we are all interested. Of course, we know now the provincial briar playdowns uh, have been going on for a bit. Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. Warren, uh, have completed theirs, and you're going to tell us uh, who won there. And who, who else is in, Warren, at this point, and how many provinces are left? So we had two playdowns this past weekend. Let's start with Saskatchewan. Magic Mike McEwen, playing out of Saskatchewan for the first time, defeated Ryan Kelter 7-3. to So Magic Mike, now this is an interesting stat. Three years in a row he's going to the Briar, skipping a team, but from three different provinces. Manitoba three years ago, Ontario last year, and now Saskatchewan. So I believe, without checking, that's got to be a record of skipping a team in the briar from three consecutive years in three different provinces. So he went through undefeated. So congratulations to his team of Colton Flash and the Marsh Brothers. Uh, they, I think, are going to have a good shot in the briar. They seem to be really trucking along right now, and everything I've heard that they played exceptionally well at that Saskatchewan playdown. So... They're going to be another factor to add into the briar in the 1st of March. In New Brunswick, well, no surprise there. Jimmy the Kid Grattan won his 16th, I believe, provincial championship out of New Brunswick, defeating Rene Como 10-3. So congratulations to third Joel Kratz, second Paul Dobson, 
and lead Andy McCann. I believe Kratz is the import there. He's a young junior player, uh, originally from Newfoundland, played over in Nova Scotia for a couple of years, and now he's into New Brunswick. So heading to the Briar for Jimmy the 16th time. So that's what's happening in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick, and we have two provincial playoffs left to happen. They're two biggies. Alberta and Manitoba will be played this coming weekend. Those are biggies. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, Mike McEwen's year to bust through. Colton Flash is a very good player playing third for him, and if he's cooking and things are moving for him, he's he's almost invincible. And he's a little hot and cold, but if he's if he's playing well, they've got a really good shot, I think. And the Marsh Brothers in the front end, they're solid. Uh, they're good throwers, they're good sweepers. So yeah, they they're a contender. Let's move along. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, ZTRs, and compact construction equipment to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, Like I told you, there's a lot of meat on the bone. Uh, We'll do a couple emails here. This one interests me uh, to get your response, fellas. Hey, Jim, Warren, Kevin. This is from Dave Legg. Love the show. I watched the last Grand Slam and was quite troubled by Emma Miskew constantly being in the house providing input to Rachel Homan. I believe this fully disrespects Tracy's value and position as the vice skip. Is there not an unwritten rule, Kev, that the front end is to stay out of the house? Is an unwritten rule? Well, I don't know. Uh, ben Hebert used to be down in the house. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd, uh, he'd come in the house quite a bit, actually. Uh, so I don't know. Um, it, was, it was always funny. We'd have to, uh, Ben, thanks for your input, but uh, mm, no. But anyway, it was just fun. It was just fun. But I'm not sure if it's uh, disrespectful. Um, it, it, it does take a little longer, which is a concern. Um, but you know, Emma Emma was third for for Rachel for forever, so it's probably kind of a natural thing for Emma to come into the house and talk to her old skipper. So you know, and and uh, but Tracy's really smart too. So you know, they they kind of have a bit of. I guess that's probably why they're winning a lot. They've got a huge advantage having somebody like Emma, who's who's very comfortable talking about anything with Rachel, and then somebody super smart like Tracy um, as vice. So. I don't know if there's an unwritten rule, but you've got to kind of keep it under control um, because if it gets out of control, you have too many philosophies coming in. And that can be kind of troublesome in, in a game like curling if you've got too many, the way people think, their own personal philosophies coming into the into the tee head can kind of confuse the situation a bit. But And time, you've got to stay to the clocks. But otherwise, I'm, I'm not very concerned, especially on Team Holman. They are rolling right now, winning like crazy. Yeah, and I would think, Warren, the skip, if they don't like it, would maybe finish out the game and then pull her aside and go, hey, beat it. Don't come down here anymore. You know, especially if it's Rachel Holman. <laughs> it's interesting because it, there was once a rule that said the front end shall not go inside the hog line <laughs> at the playing end, which that's evaporated, and that's been kind of changed a lot for a number of years now. I think... You see those four people standing in the house and you're hearing comments from everybody. It's another thing that slows everything down. And I think the original intent of keeping the front hand outside the hog line was there for that purpose, was to keep the game moving. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think 
whatever we do, we've got to make sure that the game keeps moving. And I look back to that uh, BC final in the men's, and the score was 5 nothing after five ends. Or 0-0. Zero, zero. Or, yeah, 0-0 zero, zero after five ends. And they banked a lot of time. I, I, I don't know how long it took, but I bet that last two ends took almost 45 minutes to play because it's just disgust, disgust, disgust. And I think you've got to get, uh, we got to get down to having time per end so that that can't happen. But other than that, I don't think it's something you could at this stage of the game restrict as to where the players can be. You just got to squeeze them on the time that they're going to take to make decisions. Thanks a lot uh, for sending us emails. We love it. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Okay, that's Hot Rock Topics. I won't, uh, Warren, I won't read the email where the guy said he's ghostwriting for me. Uh, well, we'll get to that one. <laughs> yeah, I know you will. Can you can you can you just lose a couple of those emails? I weren't over time. You keep you see he's been saving these camp for two and a half years. Okay, that are just <laughs> ripping me to shreds. <laughs> Jim, I'm being fair. I've put in emails where they've said very nice things. About I know you. you have. I know. And you I have. and I haven't put some in where there has maybe not some nice good things. So we're kind <laughs> of a little bit of both. <laughs> I love you, Warren. Yeah, I want to pick the emails. Um, okay. Uh, we got to do some picks. Uh, what are we doing, Warren Scotties, Briars? What, what, what are we? we don't know Manitoba. And when, uh... We're doing the Scotties, which is going to start in a little over a week's time. Okay. And uh, we've got two pools, A and B, and uh, we've got to pick four teams out of pool A and four teams out of pool B who could advance to the final eight. Okay. Do you want to bang off the names for us quickly? Okay. So in pool A is Einerson, Laws, Sturme, Brown, Ackerman, McCarville, St. George. DiCarlo and Curtis. Okay. In Pool B is Holman, Jones, Inglis, Cameron, Grandy, Galusha, Smith, Melissa Adams, and Bailey Scoffin from Yukon. Okay. I'll go first. So I'm going to make four, it easy four, for you. Four, four out of each pool. Okay. I'm going to take a couple of long shots here, fellas. I'm going to take Einerson and Holman. <laughs> I've been milling this over all night. How to really stick your neck out, eh, Jim? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, Warren, you go. Who are you picking? All right, so you picked uh, Einerson and Holman, and that's one in each pool. I will go with Laws, Sturme, and Jones. The old softy picking Jones, huh? Out of boy. Sturme, good pick. Your turn, Kev. You betcha. So I've got McCarvel, Grandy. Wow. Last pick is a tough one. Yeah, it is. We've got St. George. We've got Brown out of BC. Whew. English, Danielle out of Ontario. Holy cow, you guys. Uh, Okay, Cameron. I I really like Kate. Shaping up to be a good Scotty's. That's a tough one. I got to go with St. George. Quebec. The eight that we're picking to qualify are Anderson, Holman, Laws, Sturme, Jones, McCarville, Grandy, and St. George. So that's uh, going to be interesting. There's a couple of teams I've been left out that are fairly high in the rank. Um, Corin Brown, uh, Daniel Inglis, and Kate Cameron, all who could also very much be in the heat of the battle, but then others that we don't 
really know what this point in time could be as well. But I think in the end, we've made eight pretty good choices. I'll tell you what, after the show, I'm going to go shove my face into a meat grinder. <laughs> see if I can <laughs> see if we can fix it. <laughs> well, you suggested it. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, what a good show. I told you, a lot of meat in the bone. Thanks a lot to John Schuster for coming on. Uh, thank uh, all of you for your emails. Again, insidecurling at gmail.com. Go to our Facebook page, Facebook group. Warren's on there a lot with some great comments about things. He does not shy away. Uh, so we invite you not to shy away. Take him on. Take him on a little bit with some of his stuff. Also, Rod Paulson, uh, each and every week, uh, does a ton of work uh, putting up posts on on Facebook. His company is uh, in-house strategy, so you need some media stuff. Reach out to us, and we'll connect you with Rod. Uh, so before we go, we got something special, uh, and it's not replacing the host, okay? it's uh, this, this is better. Hi, Jim Warren coming. and Kevin. I wanted to share a feel-good story that highlights how amazing... The uh, curling community really is. On Monday night, I finished my league game at the club in Ottawa. I put my bag, my winter coat, and my water bottle in the entryway of the club by the boot rack. After having a drink with the other team, we went to leave, and I noticed my stuff was not there. Everyone in the club went looking for my stuff, nowhere to be found. One of the board members took out his phone to check the cameras. We saw a lone male walk into the club with a mask on, what? He proceeded to grab a few things off the shelf and left with my curling bag and coat. The guy left with an old duffel bag, a pair of size six and a half ladies left-handed shoes. Hold on, I'm going left-handed shoes. All right, they're curling shoes. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> F*** me. Yeah. Uh, can you pick it up in the middle of this, Mike? Going, oh no, keep it going. Okay. We want to hear all this. <laughs> all right, I'm going left handed shoes. Yeah, Jim, they're curling shoes, okay? Um, the guy left with an old duffel bag, a pair of size six and a half ladies' left handed shoes, and a bunch of shirts and a jacket with my last name on them. It is most likely my stuff ended up in a dumpster. To him, it was worthless. To me, I may have missed out on playing in the mixed doubles provincial qualifiers this weekend. I wear a very small left-handed shoe, which I have always had to custom order. I had very little hope, and I was crushed. I posted very late on Monday night about the theft and how devastating it was. By Tuesday morning, I had multiple people offering to share their shoes. That can be either left or right-handed, but of course, none is the right. None of them are the right size. I got the most amazing message Tuesday morning from Matt Wilkinson with Goldline. He reached out. And Goldline offered to get me anything I needed to be ready for the weekend. I went to the Ottawa store, and they set me up with a brand new pair of shoes, pants, and a stopwatch at absolutely no cost to me. The generosity displayed by Goldline and the whole curling community was overwhelming. I am now fully equipped and able to compete this weekend. I just wanted to share some good that came from the amazing community of one of our sponsors. Big bouquet for Goldline. Yeah, isn't that, uh, what a nice story that is. Uh, thanks a lot, Cassandra, for, uh, I'm glad you're set up again. Uh, what do you do, Kev? No, what a great story. Yeah. yeah, congratulations to, well, thank you, Matt. Matt and uh, Goldline to, uh, to yeah, get her back on the ice in time for the playoffs. That's great. Anyone ever steal your stuff, Warren? Wasn't worth stealing, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Warren, maybe they'd look at your equipment and go, look at that stuff's 150 years old. Let's take that. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, 
Thank God we're out of time. I got to go lie down for two days. Uh, thanks a lot to Jackpot City Coyote Goldline who make all of this possible. And thanks a lot to you guys for listening. This must have been a tough listening day for you, uh, but we sure appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Curling. Kevin, we'll see you. Thank you for your patience. My two co-hosts, you guys. See you later. <laughs> thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Go have a rest. <laughs>